Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Wrong Kind of Christian podcast. I'm your host, Megan Martin, and today we're looking at Hebrews 3 and the very first part of chapter 4. But first, I wanted to um, just to thank all of you who have reached out to me via email and social media to share your well wishes and and prayers for my families and my speedy recovery from COVID-19. I will admit that this has been a rough illness. Um, And I think we actually got a really mild case of it. We are still dealing with the effects of it, honestly. And and for those of you who are curious, um, Justin and I shared a bit of our early experience with it over on Wrong Kind of Podcast about a week ago now. But I'll give um, just a brief update here. Like the short of it is that we are tired. We're tired. Normally, um, the idea of staying home for an extended amount of days is like really kind of anxiety inducing um, just in itself. But I have been sleeping and resting so much that the days are just kind of passing and kind of a blur. So I'm the only one in my family that has like completely lost my sense of smell and taste. And honestly, my smell is just starting to come back, but my taste is still gone for now. I've personally recently started dealing with like headaches and muscle aches. And at this point, I really don't know if it's actually from COVID or if it's from like being in my home, not really moving around much, that's kind of causing that. But I'm trying to push through some of that today um, just to kind of begin to return to normal. If you're dealing with COVID yourself, please know that I'm praying for you too. I took a break from the wrong kind of Christian blog this week to allow myself some time to rest. And um, But you can still go over there to wrongkindofchristian.com to find my review of S. Daniel Smith's book, Saving Ebenezer. And I hope you gave a listen to my interview with him here on this podcast last week. You can also catch me this week on Our Given Purpose podcast. That um, The host of that show, Tori, is, is taking a break this month, and so she is airing some previously released episodes. She and I actually spoke back in like late February, so before all of this crazy COVID stuff really began. You'll also hear her right here on Wrong Kind of Christian podcast later in December. She'll be calling in to share some um, to share some information about her ministry, Our Given Purpose, and to share some of her holiday favorites with us. So I hope you'll tune in then too. Okay, who's ready to dive into Hebrews 3 and just the very beginning of 4? I've been trying to think of ways to go through the scripture without like actually reading it verse by verse, but I honestly don't feel like that just does it justice to kind of skip around. So we're just going to kind of begin. So Hebrews 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Okay, now for the fun part. Let's break it down. That very first verse begins with the word that we started chapter 2 with a couple of weeks ago. Therefore, and remember what that means. So um, it really means like, first of all, This new chapter for us is really just another continuation in the sermon to the Hebrew Christians that the author is giving here. 
But this word, therefore, remember, it leads us to action. So because of an event or some new information that has been presented, in this case, the idea that Jesus is higher than the angels and that Jesus was both fully God and fully man, because he took on this role of mankind so that he could present himself as our ultimate sacrifice. That's what we um, we read about at the end of chapter two. Therefore, we must look at Jesus as our apostle and high priest. So the Greek word used here that they've translated to fix, kontanoin, I am not like a Greek scholar, so if I mess up the pronunciation, don't judge me too harshly. Kontanoin means to do more than um, to look or notice something. So it really means to like fix your attention on something in such a way that it may teach you a lesson so that you can understand kind of inner meaning of whatever it is you're studying. So it's like to really study something. So here the author is telling them to study Jesus. Pay so close attention to Jesus that you may gain understanding of him and his ways. Kudos to you who are going along this journey through Hebrews with me. You're already applying the lesson of Kentinoin in your life today. Let's talk about the two titles we see for Jesus here, apostle and high priest. It's not coincidental that we're talking about Moses and these terms here together. So for the Hebrews, Moses was like their first apostle. And um, an apostle is just a fancy way of saying ambassador, someone sent to represent another person. So we could kind of think of them like agents, like we did when we were talking about the angels in Hebrews chapter one. God sent Moses to the Hebrews when they were slaves in Egypt, and he came to set them free and to lead them out of bondage. But of course, the king refused until he saw um, all the signs and like the powerful works that God did through Moses. In a very similar fashion, Jesus was sent to save the Hebrews from slavery under Satan and to bring them to God. And Jesus came to show us what God is like, and he overcame Satan and set us free from his power. Jesus and the first high priest to the Hebrews also have some similarities. Aaron, was, who was Moses's brother, was the very first high priest, a man who went to God as the agent of his people. He had to make sacrifices for all of their sins and his every year. Then he would ask God to forgive them. So in the same way that Jesus is God's agent to us as an apostle, Jesus is our high priest, our agent to God as our, as our high priest, our chief priest, the ultimate high priest, meaning um, that there will not be a need for another high priest ever. The major difference here is that um, while Aaron had to sacrifice offerings for his own sins, Jesus did not, of course, because he was blameless. Because he offered his own blood to God, his own self as our sacrifice, there is no need for further sacrifices of blood. So no more animal sacrifices needed. Because of his perfect sacrifice, he is the high priest of us all. Whew. Okay, that was kind of a lot for just one verse. But let's go on to verse 2. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Okay. Any agent or ambassador or apostle, whatever you want to call him, must be true to the one who sent him. So God sent Moses to be over his house as leader of the Hebrews. Moses, you know, basically just did what God asked him to do, and although he failed at times, right? And that's why Moses himself never actually got to go into the promised land. However, 
he was still considered a man of God and the Hebrews respected him as such. God also sent Jesus to us as his agent. He did whatever God asked him to do perfectly without fail. Verses three through six kind of go a step further in explaining why Jesus would be considered greater than Moses, which like we said in chapter two, might be common sense to us, but to the Hebrews, Moses was like, you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread kind of thing. He was the one who led them from slavery and gave them God's commands. But Jesus is more, and these Hebrew Christians needed to understand that. Okay, verses three through six. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. It seems to me like the author of Hebrews gave us a really great analogy here to help us understand in very simple words. God used Moses to build the house, his house, meaning um, his people, but Jesus is the son of the house. And we're talking S-O-N, son of the house. When someone has a building named after them, is it because they built it? Like they literally went out with the hammer and the saws and they built the building? Or is it because they've done something great, donated something of significance, done something to be recognized on the side of the building? Jesus is more worthy because he is the son of the house. And the house, of course, is the church. Moses was a servant who came to lead the way for the great apostle. He built the church, but Jesus came as the son of the church and was sent as the agent, the representation of God himself. The author then quotes from Psalm 95, verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion, during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Okay, all of that is um, Hebrews chapter three, verses seven through 11, but it's also a direct quote from Psalm 95. And the author here is reminding these Hebrew Christians that though Moses was true to God and trusted in him, most of the people whom he brought out of Egypt did not remain faithful. They didn't listen to what God told them and they certainly didn't obey as a result, they didn't make it to the promised land. Instead, they were led through the desert for 40 years. I mean, isn't that crazy? These are the people who witnessed firsthand the amazing works of God's hands, the river that turned to blood, the plagues of locusts, and honestly, my most feared, the frogs. They witnessed the death of every firstborn son of, in Egypt, the night of the very first Passover. Like, witness it themselves. It wasn't like they heard stories from their ancestors these were the people who lived it, yet they were not faithful. They didn't remain obedient. What short memories we have as humans. The author here is telling these Hebrew Christians that the Holy Spirit now testifies within us. Don't forget. Don't forget all that has been revealed to you. Don't forget what you have seen and what you have heard. Remain faithful. 
God says that the Hebrews of Moses's day weren't hearing him because they refused to listen, not because he wasn't talking. Their refusal to listen, to obey, and to remain faithful angered God, and so he didn't allow them to know his rest. Only two of the adults who were there for the exodus from Egypt remained faithful, and those two were Caleb and Joshua, and they did enter the promised land. In fact, Joshua was the one who ended up leading them faithfully through that transition. In verse 12, the author writes, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So the writer is warning us as Christians to make sure that we don't turn away from God. One of the greatest arguments, disagreements out there is whether or not a saved person can lose their salvation. This verse seems to suggest that you can. It is possible to forget what God has done for you and to turn back to your old ways. And we have to ensure that we don't do that. To go back from following Jesus would be like a slap in the face of God. You have you have experienced his love, his presence working in your life, and you've decided that either one, that it wasn't worth it, or two, that it wasn't real. All who turn away will one day face judgment for that decision. However, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Understand that one can truly believe God, but struggle with doubt. You know, um, it, it, biblically, we have Doubting Thomas as a great example of, of a person who truly believed in Jesus and still doubted. Doubts like this are ones that um, these doubts kind of want God's promise, but they're, they're feeling kind of like weak in faith for a moment. This isn't the same as unbelief. So unbelief is kind of like set in direct opposition to faith. They're opposites. So um, it's such a point of contention for the writer of the book of Hebrews that he tells us that we have to help each other, not give up our faithfulness. So verse 13 says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The idea here is not to just encourage each other, but to seriously encourage each other. We have to have relationships with other Christians. We need people in our corners, people who will um, point out when we're doing something wrong in love, of course, people who will encourage us when we're struggling. Um, People who will pray for us, people who will walk alongside us and challenge us to stay in his word. Not only do we need people to do that for us, but we need to be able to do that for other people. We need to be the encourager of, of someone else. And here's why. Everything eventually goes through seasons of boredom, right? Relationships, um, jobs, um, ministries, all of these um, great things in life go through seasons of boredom, seasons of the mundane. You know what I mean? You go along with life and it all just becomes quote unquote normal. And verse 14 reminds us of what it's like to be a new Christian. Verse 14 says, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Do you remember what it was like to be a new believer? Have you been around a new believer recently? There's always so much excitement. They want to tell the whole world everything that they know. New believers have this real confidence in the work of Jesus, and they know that he's working in them. And as Paul tells us, the Christian life, though, is a race, not a sprint. So in order to get to the finish line of heaven, we have to go on 
through this life with Jesus, growing in him until he takes us to be with him. We cannot just like start out, you know, out of the gate, super excited and then get bored with it and or turn away from it. We can't turn away from our confidence in him and what he has done. The author reminds us again what happened when the Hebrews forgot what God had done for them. Verse 15, as has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Okay, he goes on in um, what we've separated, what we have separated as chapter four is all still the same sermon for him. So chapter four says, therefore, there's that word again, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Okay, so those who sinned and were not repentant, those who hardened their hearts after God brought them out of Egypt, were not allowed to enter the promised land. However, for those of us who believe, the promise of entering his forever rest still stands. We just have to make sure that we don't miss our chance to enter. So again, don't misunderstand me. There is no way for you to earn your way into heaven. You can't do anything that is worthy of you getting into heaven on your own merits. However, once you have believed in the works of Jesus Christ, you cannot turn back to unbelief and expect to be with the Lord in his rest. Sure, we're going to mess up. We will sin and we will fall short. But we should also be repentant. We should stay mindful of Jesus's sacrifice and continue to study him. Remember that word? Continuing. Study Jesus in such a way that we can continue to learn and gain understanding from him. Have a diligent faith in God's promises and you will find rest. Okay, we're going to stop there today. Guys, I, I continue just to be so excited to go through this study with you. Honestly, like even though I'm not like feeling super awesome right now, working on this has allowed me to have like this sense of normalcy that has just been such a blessing for me. Um, let's see, on next week's episode, I'll be chatting with Carrie Kampakis, author of one of my new favorite books, Love Her Well. Carrie is, um, she's part of the Today Show's parenting team. She's a blogger, she's a mom, she's a wife, she's, um, and she's an author. She usually writes books for teen girls, all from like a biblical perspective. But thankfully, she decided to kind of jump over into our lane and offer some tips for the parents of teen girls as well. If you have a teen daughter, you need to go check out my review of the book, Love Her Well, on wrongkindofchristian.com and make sure that you tune in next week right here on Wrong Kind of Christian Podcast. Then in two weeks, we'll continue on with our Hebrew study. Make sure that you've clicked that follow button wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember, you can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, though I'm not super active there. All right, guys, I will talk with you next week. Bye.